It is Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show. You're with Lyle and Lawson. We're about to get into our Bible study, 20 Million Movement. That is 20 million people all studying the same passage of the Bible at the same time. It's going to be amazing. Before we do, as always, we have text messages to cover. Let's see here what we have. Okay. Ooh, a number of them. Okay, so going back to your story about... The asteroid. Oh, yes. NASA says we are safe from being hit by an asteroid for the next 100 years. Yes. Uh, someone says, NASA, I didn't know they had their own profits. Science <laughs> has come a long way. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Right Dude, there. that's classic. Okay. Um, homelessness in the, UA, in the USA is, is unfortunately is a, is a part of the plan to destroy once blessed country. We're seeing history repeating itself. Um, one of the reasons for the great, the fall of the great empires. Um, you see this example in the French, in France, in the French Revolution. This is interesting. Um, it's interesting to look at because uh, what you do see in the fall of large empires in the past is kind of the elimination of the middle class, mm. and uh, that's one of the areas. When you, once you start to see that happening, yeah, it's a sign that the cracks are starting to form. Mm. Get rid of the middle class and. An empire will fall. Mm. Um, federal funding. This is on the story in relationship to the federal funding of uh, schools in the religious institutions in the United States, and of course now facing class action because they're receiving federal funding, but also enforcing religious rules within their yes. school. Yes. Yes. Um, because you know uh, rules that are based on what their actual faith is. It sounds good, but we know where this will end. Not a good place to be. Uh, we were told from the beginning a church and state was never to, was never to be. It ends up with persecution of the faithful. We are seeing that now more than ever. Hard times are all in front of us. All true Christian institutions have accepted funding from the government will suffer the consequences. And I fear, I fear that this is the case. I, you know, whether now or in the future, one of the things that I do like is those institutions that have remained entirely free from federal yeah. funding because yeah. they are actually free mm. until the constitution changes or is you know done away with. Mm. And uh, their, 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 their tranquility, I believe, will last longer, but it will be interesting to see where this case goes and what kind of precedent is set uh, in relationship to yeah LGBT. Q plus um, people who are feeling discriminated against because they are attending religious educational institutions that have their own uh, internal rules in relationship to LGBT plus um, practice or promotion within their schools. It's an interesting thought there. Like, would you say that a school receiving government funding, which is offered to all schools, uh, is a combination, you know, a mixing of church and state? Church and state. I think it blurs the lines. Mm. This court case is going to tell us a lot. Yes, yeah. Uh, There are definitely blurred lines there, and uh, I think with those institutions that have not received any government funding, there's no blurred lines. It's very clear. Yeah. And it's like, you know, these are our rules. We can make whatever rules we want, Mm. Um, and it's, it's our college... If you don't like the rules, then go study somewhere else. Yeah, of course. And it's not that they're acting illegal either. Yeah. I remember before I went to college, I complained to my dad at length about some of the rules at the colleges I was going to. I'm like, these are stupid rules. And he's like, <laughs> well, you know, it's their college. They can make any rules they want. Yeah. It's a private, you don't like it's it, a private institution. It's a private institution. 100%. You know, that's the thing. I, I feel like this argument, you know, doesn't just stop at... Um, 
doesn't just necessarily stop at schools, but to, to any private, pri- privatized, uh, institution or platform, people try to make a point that it should be, you know, oh, regulated this way, regulated that way. But ultimately, yeah, this argument comes up a lot with Facebook. People are like, oh, Facebook is too big to not be regulated by governments. And it's like, but you can stop going on Facebook. Like, it is this a is private, in, it <laughs> yeah. is a private, a privatized platform. YouTube, pri- like people, you know, argue all the time. Oh, YouTube is terrible because they have guidelines and they delete videos by these people. And this, it's like, yeah, but it's a private platform. Like just find, find a public platform and uh, just act within, you know, then you make your own platform. Be Donald Trump. Make your own platform. We talked a couple of weeks ago the story of Donald Trump creating his own uh, social media in the coming months, or claimed to be, because uh, other private platforms don't accept him. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. Just make your own platform. Uh, you know, fund yourself. It's also cool to see, like, when it comes to these these institutions who have gone, you know, use the method of. Uh, not receiving government funding. It's often because they've created some kind of business model where they can, uh, they can get profit. Being self-sustaining is a fantastic thing. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, all of these institutions that are now in trouble once used to be privately funded. 100%. Yes. yes. Public funding became available. And so they're like, yeah, this is free money. We'll take it. Mm. But now the strings that were attached with that money are starting to be pulled. Yeah, well, and that's a problem. Yeah, it's it, I, like I would imagine in the circumstances in which they took the money, they saw that oh, this is free money, and maybe the strings weren't even there. Yeah, maybe they were like, oh, this is, you know. See the other, the other, the other interesting discussion to have on this, of course, is government accreditation. Mm. And uh, you know this would this would be interesting because you've got those those universities that refuse to have accreditation because they're like, well, um, no, we don't want to have a government accreditation because that means that we can't set the curriculum that we want to have. Mm. That means the government gets to have a say in our curriculum, and you know places places like you know Yale and Harvard and so forth are unaccredited universities. They wow. receive no government accreditation whatsoever at all, never have done, and never will. Yeah, wow. Um, Isn't that interesting? It is very interesting. Because it's just on the strength of the, the yeah. quality of the school itself. Like, no, we just stand on our reputation. Yeah, wow. And uh, I think there's a strong argument for that as well, mm. um, because what that does is it pushes the college or the university or the educational institution to excellence of their own, Mm. And it pushes them to, uh, I've either got to have an amazing reputation or I don't survive. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's interesting, like in Australia, particularly, like I look at uh, our local university here in Newcastle, uh, which is very much a, you know, government funded university, pretty much all of their degrees are offered with, you know, hex or fee help or something like that, all accredited, uh, receives lots of money from the government. This isn't a shot at them, by the way, it's just a, yeah, our local university, but has lost an incredible amount of money, not, not just because of COVID, but over the last couple of years, although they are receiving, receiving massive funding from the government. So isn't yeah, that well, interesting? Hey, you know, when we lost all of our uh, Asian um Oh, dude, that, that was the, like, Ooh, they're, they're, de- they're decommissioning a whole building now yeah. at Newcastle Uni. Wow. Man, maybe we should talk about our Bible study. We need to get on our Bible study. <laughs> this is an interesting discussion to have. Oh, yeah. But, oh, um, just, just quickly, just quickly, we are doing a survey. Reminder, yes, we are doing a survey. So you can get on faithfm.com.au, follow the links, do a survey. 
survey, basically to tell us what you would like to see from us. Help us shape this radio station into something that meets your needs um, and, you know, shares the shares the word of God. And, uh, yeah, you can go in the running to win one of ten $100 Visa gift cards. Uh, so you can do that. Go on the website. You have until the 10th of April. So time is running out. Yes. Basically. We, we have five days, essentially. We do. Four, four, five days? What's the date today? Today's the sixth. So, four, four days. Four, four days, days left. Get on to And this. we would really like to know if there's a, you know, leave some comments. Um, what parts of the breakfast show do you like the best? <laughs> you know? There's lots of different sections of the breakfast show. We'd love to have your thoughts on that. How can we make this better? How can we like actually improve what we're doing? You're listening to Faith FM. Radio. Yeah, someone just texted in to say they reckon it was Satan's plan to insti- to, to fund the institutions of our, our educational institutions so they can take them over. Oh, strong, strong oh, statements heavy. right there. Heavy. Uh, pretty heavy stuff, but you know, let's see where this let's see where this all goes. I am very curious, particularly because of my background in education. I'm very curious to see where this all ends up. And uh, have we all just been conspiracy theorists, or uh, is there actually something to it? We need to get into our Bible study. We really do. It is an amazing Bible study. It's all about the covenants. And we're going to be talking about, um, yeah, covenants today. Do you know what the word covenant comes from, the Hebrew word for covenant? Well, it's just like a promise, right? Yes. Yeah. But am I supposed to be answering the origin of the word covenant? Yes, the etymology of the word covenant. I have no idea. So it's a Hebrew word. It comes from the word bereth, and it has it's basically used in three different. Was translated in three different ways in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So it's translated either as covenant, or testament, or will. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, so, which is an interesting one because you know we always we talk about a last will and testament. Mm. You know, when a, a will we, we we talk about a will because we're Aussies and we'd never use a full title for anything, but it's actually a last will and testament. Yes, and so it's kind of a covenant. So a covenant is in the Bible an agreement between two parties. Yes, and so you have a number of different covenants. Um, covenants made between people, like a marriage covenant, is an agreement between two parties. Mm-hmm. You have covenants that God made, and it's interesting because you've kind of, you've kind of, there's lots of covenants that God makes through the Bible, Mm -hmm. but there's also only, well, one. Yes. That's the everlasting covenant. Mm -hmm. And so all of the covenants that God makes are really summarized under the one, which is the everlasting covenant or the new covenant. Now, of course, there is the old covenant. And God is involved in the Old Covenant. Yes. But that's a very different kind of covenant, which we're not going to get to today. Um, and so I'm going to I'm going to say that God is involved. Mm-hmm. But I'm also going to say that the Old Covenant was faulty and that it was weak. In fact, I'm not going to say that. The Bible says that. If you don't believe me, go read Hebrews chapter 8. The Bible says the Old Covenant was faulty and it was weak. And so does God ever make something that is faulty and weak? No, of course not. No, he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. So I'm going to say that God was involved in the Old Covenant and God made the New Covenant or the Everlasting Covenant, which predates the Old Covenant. Mm -hmm. 
Ah, I wish we could get into this in so much more detail this morning because, you know, particularly to a Western mindset, that's just a mind bender. How can, yeah. the, how can the new covenant predate the old covenant? Mm. Well, it's, uh, we, we're actually talking about this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a part of our Sabbath school, um, program at my local church. We actually do, we do the, uh, it's called inverse, it's like a different study guys, but it covers the same thing, but like targeted at like a younger audience. But yeah, we talked about this idea of like, you know, God's flimsy promise. You know, like, or we, you know, when the Bible says, like, oh, we, we, you know, we, we need not. So your translation says flimsy rather than weak? Yeah. It's like yep. flimsy, flimsy, and it's like, wait, does God make flimsy promises and flimsy covenants, you know, uh-huh, that are just uh-huh. bendy and gonna snap? Like, is, is this the God that we serve? And it's interesting, yeah, when you actually, which we, you know, we are doing now when you when you dig deeper into it this idea of flimsy covenants and you find that oh no it's not god who makes flimsy promises but humans that's right mm. and that's the big difference you're going to see between the old and the new covenant the old covenant was based on promises made by god mm-hmm. which were not flimsy mm-hmm. and by humans which were yes which is why when god makes the everlasting covenant he doesn't include humans in that Yes, yes, yes. Because as soon as you include humans, you have included weakness and fault and flimsiness and frailty. And so God's just like, this is my covenant. Mm. All right. So uh, where were we? What were we talking about? Okay. So this is a bond between uh, two people, between man and God. And, of course, um, you'll find some that are between man and man. Now, three different aspects to the covenant that is made by God and that is that they are confirmed by an oath. They have they are based around the Ten Commandments, and they are fulfilled by Jesus Christ. So let's have a look at some of these verses. Let's go to Galatians chapter three and verse sixteen. It's Galatians three and verse sixteen. We're gonna flick over there real quick. Mm. Galatians 3, verse 16. The Gaelic people who occupied the... Was it the Asia Minor? Yes, these were the Anatolian Gaels. Yes. Okay, so uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says this. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his child, as it if... uh, as as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. Yeah, your translation is so far different from mine that it's hard to follow. But anyway, um, let me read that from my translation. Yes. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He says not to seeds of many, but as of one. And to your seed, which is Christ. Yeah, it's essentially saying the same thing. Oh, I think mine used a lot less words. Yeah, mine really, really digs into that. It, it sounds like an instruction manual almost. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's like it's like a, or someone writing a commentary. It's definitely not biblical language. I'm, I'm sort of sitting here looking at it like, did I give Lawson the right? No, it is. But essentially, yeah, yeah is, what yeah. it's saying is, it's like, it, yeah, the promise made to Abraham wasn't made to his descendants, but. To everyone through Christ. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So there's a few different covenants. We're going to have a bit of a broad overview of uh, a number of the different covenants as we work through today. We've got, um, you know, the covenant made with Noah, Abraham, um, Moses, uh, the new covenant, the everlasting covenant. These are some of the major covenants. We're going to sort of look at a number of different ones as we go through this particular week. But this is the covenant to Abraham, and it's just, it's not just. It doesn't just apply to Abraham, mm. but to Abraham's seed or yes. Abraham's descendants. Mm-hmm. So you're a descendant of Abraham. 
Uh, no. No. You're not. I wish I was. Dude, well, you you kind of could be, but probably not. But yeah, dude, if I could be any race, like, if I could change my race, I'd love to be, like, Jewish. Or at least culturally Jewish, because I think it's so cool. But, nah, unfortunately, unfortunately, no, I'm I am not. I am, uh, I am not a descendant are, of Abraham. You are who you are. You are Lawson. I'm too pale <laughs> to be a descendant of Abraham. All right, verse 28 and 29, then. Okay, in Galatians chapter 3. Yes. Uh, the Bible says this, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male, male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Okay, so here's what, here's what Paul works his way through to in this particular chapter, because in verse, you know, 16, he's saying, look, the covenant didn't just belong to Abraham. It belonged to all of his descendants. That would be super encouraging for, you know, all of the Jewish people who are reading this. Mm. But this book was written to Gaelic people, Galatians. Mm. And so what about the Gaelic people that it's writing to? Well, he continues on, if you are Christ's, then you are descendants of Abraham Mm. and heirs according to the promise. Wow. And so he goes into that, he covers that, and he's like, okay, if you belong to Christ, doesn't matter whether you're Celtic or whatever you are, you belong to Jesus Christ. Mm. And you are one of his descendants, therefore the covenant made with Abraham applies to you. You've been grafted in, Paul says, in the book of Romans. Mm. Okay, let's go over to Galatians, sorry, not Galatians, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13. And let's find out what it says over here, Hebrews 6 and verse 13. Go for it, Lawson. The Bible says, For example, there was God's promise to Abraham, since there was no greater to swear by. God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Okay, so when God takes an oath, Mm. in whose name does God take an oath? His own name. Okay, so if you were to take an oath, and the Bible says don't, you know, don't take oaths. Let your nay be yea and your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Um, be so well known as somebody who speaks the truth that you never need to take an oath. Mm. But if you were to take an oath in the name of God, like I swear in the name of God that I'm going to tell the truth here, why have you, why have you made that statement, I swear by the name of God? Because God is someone who has reputation of always doing the right thing. Yes. Yes. And because God is greater than you. Yeah. You know, it would be pretty lame if you said, you know, I swear by the name of my dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are sure. like, yeah, here comes a whole bunch of furbies right here. Yeah. There's not going to be nothing. <laughs> because, yeah, because your dog has no reputation. None. Yes. Zero. And so when God comes to swear an oath, who does God swear an oath? Whose name does God swear an oath? He, he could only swear by himself. Because there's nothing higher, nothing bigger, nothing greater, mm. no bigger reputation. He can only swear by himself. If he sweared by, you know, in the name of, and he listed some human being, then that would be completely lame. Yikes, yeah. Yeah. Mm. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so here's an interesting verse. This is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 13, which brings in the relationship of the Ten Commandments to the covenant. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason that this is interesting is because sometimes you will find people who say, well, the Ten Commandments are the Old Covenant. Mm -hmm. Because there are verses in the Bible, such as this one, that 
use the word covenant in relationship to the Ten Commandments. Let's read it, and then let's talk about it. Sure. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. 4. Chapter 4, sorry, and verse... 13. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says this. He proclaimed his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to keep, and which he wrote on two stone tablets. Okay, so here the Bible speaks about the Ten Commandments as the covenant. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is the Ten Commandments all there is to the covenant? Well, I don't, I don't think so. Now, before we, before we actually go there, we probably should point out that when the Bible talks about the old covenant, yes, the Bible says that it was weak and it had, it was faulty, it was temporary, and it had uh, weak promises. Yes, are there any weak promises in the Ten Commandments? No, no, there are no weak no. promises in the Ten Commandments. Is there any fault in the Ten Commandments? No. Are the Ten Commandments temporary? No, no, none of those, none of those things are going to work whatsoever at all. Mm. Uh, particularly if you read the New Testament, mm. um, for instance, uh, where Paul says, you know, wherefore the commandment is holy, just, and good. In Romans chapter seven and verse twelve. In Romans seven and verse seven, where he says, uh, I would not know what sin was unless there was. Ten Commandments mm. you know, to define what sin is, and of course in Romans chapter three and I think it's verse twenty-one, the last verse in the chapter, where he says, "Do we then make void, you know, the the the, the law through faith? God forbid we establish the law." Well, that would not make any sense if the Ten Commandments were the Old Covenant, because you would be establishing the Old Covenant. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well. You know, mm. um, so why does the Bible use? the Ten Commandments and speak of them as a covenant? The answer is very simple. They are an integral part of the covenant. They're not Mm. everything because, as we just noticed, there is the Ten Commandments that are a part of the covenant. There is also the oath Mm. that is a part of the covenant. And in a moment we're going to look at something else that is a part of the covenant. Yes. But to look at this a little bit further, we're going to go to Exodus Exodus chapter 20, let me see here, and we're going to read here Exodus 24, verse 7 and 8. The Bible says this, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood from the brains, uh, sorry, sorry, from from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring, "Look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions." Yeah, I was kind of wondering where you're going. <laughs> the blood from the brains. <laughs> Splattered over the people. Oh, that's tough. Okay. It says it so much more politely in the King James Version. Yes. It says Moses took the blood and sprinkled it. Ah, oh, okay. That's better than splattered. Come no, on, this sprinkled is the it on the sprinkle translation. And said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Mm. And so what you find here is that the Ten Commandments are not the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. They are the terms of the covenant. Mm. The covenant is about the Ten Commandments. You can't have the Ten Commandments without the covenant. You can't have the covenant without the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments is all about, the covenant is all about the Ten Commandments. Mm. They don't constitute the covenant. They are a part of the covenant. The covenant Mm. is about those words. Yes. And so in the Old Covenant, you have this promise that the people make right here. We just read it. All the people said, everything that God has said, we we will will do it. it. We will obey it. 
it's all good, no problem, we have this sorted. Yeah. How long did they last? No, <laughs> not very long. <laughs> Dancing around a golden calf just a very short period of time mm. after this. So, no, they do not last long at all because, and this is where the fault is in the Old Covenant. Mm. The fault is in the promise of the people. Mm. But both covenants are about the Ten Commandments and both of them involve obedience to the Ten Commandments. Mm. Okay, so let's go over to Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah 42, verse 1 and 6. Isaiah 42, and we will read about the everlasting covenant, the new covenant, whatever you want to call it, over here. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 5 and 6. Yes. The Bible says, God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone. Okay, I I think I might have given... Did you like to say five and six? Yeah, 42, five and six. One and six. Sorry, oh, my bad. One and six. One uh, and six. Okay, okay. The says this. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. And verse 6, the Bible says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take your hand and guard you. I will give you to, I will give you to my people, Israel, as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide through, uh, so you'll be a light to guide the nations. Okay, so who is this prophecy talking about? This is talking about Christ. Absolutely. Mm. And so what role is Christ playing here, particularly in verse 6? Well, it says that, yeah, he is a guide to the nations, but um, mostly he's, yeah, a symbol of the covenant. Absolutely. Mm. So did Jesus keep the law of God? Yes. Absolutely. Ten Commandments. Jesus kept all of the Ten Commandments. He never broke a single one of them. He's the only person who's ever done that. Mm. And so he becomes a symbol of the covenant, and he becomes um, the the place in which the everlasting covenant is fulfilled. Yeah, well. Mm. It's only fulfilled in Christ. He's the only one who ever kept it. Um, he's the only one who, as the prophet Daniel said, brings in everlasting righteousness. Mm. And so uh, this is why you find that Jesus then says, you know, in the new covenant, you know, behold, I will write my laws in their hearts and in their minds. Mm. So many people try and say, well, you know, the New Covenant gets rid of the law of God. No, if you read, there's only one passage in the Bible that defines the New Covenant. Mm. And it doesn't get rid of the law of God. The law of God is central to it. You can read it in a couple of different places. There's only one passage, but you can read it in two different places. We'll read the one where it is quoted in Hebrews chapter 8. So if you really want to know about the Old and the New Covenant, Hebrews 8 is where you go. Uh, because it is, that's what it's all about. But why don't you read for us verse uh, 10 and 11, please? Yeah, the Bible says... Uh, and, and 12. Let's find out whether oh. the, the, the new covenant does away with the law of God. Oh, and can we read verse 9 as well? Let's just see, let's just go. Okay. This is actually, I'll start from verse 10. The Bible says this. But this is the covenant I will make with the people Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness and never again will their sins be remembered. Yes. 
Fantastic stuff. Thank you. Okay, is the law of God done away with here? No. No, it's just its location is changed. Mm. It's no longer written on stone. It's written in your heart and in your mind. Mm. In your mind so you know what it says, in your heart so that you want to actually do it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Ooh, awesome. I think it is now time for... Question of the day. Good stuff. All right. So our question of the day comes from Chris and Chris asks, uh, you know, we've discussed here on the morning show, uh, you know, the, the origins of Easter and Lyle, uh, you have claimed that Easter comes from, uh, the goddess Ishtar, Ishtar of Mesopotamia. Uh, but the conventional wisdom is that Easter came from the Western Germanic goddess, 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 Oester, Oester, Oestry. Okay. There you go. Um, or something like that. At least that was what the venerable, uh, Biddy wrote. Uh, yeah. Okay. What right. is your thoughts, Lyle? Okay. It's a really good question right here. Um, and I just want to point out that there were a whole bunch of religious, a whole bunch of goddesses mm-hmm. that evolved over time and carried the same characteristics with them. And the interesting one when it comes to Ishtar is that the same name was carried. Mm. It was just, you know, transliterated slightly as it moved across different cultures. And so you've got Ishtar, Isis, Astarte, Artemis, Eastre, Eostre, Ashtoreth, Azuli, etc., which are all of the same goddess that are known under different names. Now, of course, you're going to, people are going to say, oh, no, these are entirely different goddesses because they have entirely different characteristics and they have entirely different, um, you know, meanings in these different cultures. That is not because they are different goddesses. That is because they have evolved within those cultures over the period of a couple of thousand years so that, you know, they have diverged significantly from their origins. However, the Bible is very clear that the origins of all false religions begin in one place, Mm. and that is in Babylon. So the Bible is crystal clear about that. And so what you're going to find then is, is, you know, uh, this person, you know, continues on with a connection is like, well, is there a genetic link? Is there an organic link between, say, Eostre and Ishtar that you can trace down through history? And the way that I would trace that down through history is, first of all, stating that, okay, this is the biblical model. The biblical model says that all false religions begin with Babylon, and if that is the case, then all false religions can be traced back to that one central point. The second thing that I'm going to note is that the religion that began in Babylon has a number of major, um, a a number of major points that are repeated in all of the false religions, the pagan religions that spread from there around the world and are continued in quite a number of major world religions today. And so, for instance, the worship of the sun is universal around the world. You can go anywhere on the planet, you're going to find the worship of the sun. The worship of the serpent, the snake, is universal around the world, and typically a snake with wings. I wonder where they got that idea from. (laughs) Um, That's Satan right there. Um, That's universal around the world. You can go anywhere in the world, you're going to find the worship of the serpent. Um, The concept of the balance of the universe, black and white, up and down, uh, male and female, uh, being kept in equilibrium with each other is universal. You'll find that wherever you go around the world. Fertility rights and the worship of 
of the forces of reproduction. These are universal around the world. Where do they begin? You can trace them all back to Babylon and the worship of the sacred feminine and the role of, you know, the female in particularly in reproduction and so forth is once again is universal around the world. Take me to a culture where you won't find that. Now, for certain, you'll find small cultures here and there I'm speaking broadly here, so you take me to a continent where you don't find these things. Um, there are going to be variations where you don't, but for the most part, these are going to be universal. And the reason that they are universal is because they all have one common origin. And so, you know, it, it kind of depends how you look at history. People like to look at history as a science today rather than a humanity, but there is definitely a humanity aspect to it and a philosophical aspect to it and a biblical aspect to it. And when you throw that biblical aspect in, that's when you see these links coming through. And if you take too scientific approach, you're going to miss some of the bigger picture that there is in relationship to understanding true history. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.